Cobalt headquarters in San Francisco, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my good friend and colleague, Kavya Perlman. Kavya and I met last year in San Francisco, and in January, we spoke together on a panel at AppSec California. As the Information Security Director at Linden Labs, Kavya is currently responsible for protecting two virtual world economies. She's worked in several different industries, including social media, insurance, law, and cosmetology. Kavya holds a master's degree in network security and many information security certifications. This year, she was named on the IFSEC Global Influencers List. Kavya, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Caroline. I really appreciate it. And it's uh, great to be talking to you again since our last time at AppSec, California. Yes. So, Kavya, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm so interested in hearing your thoughts on is with regards to these virtual economies. Can you tell me a little bit about Second Life and about Sansar? You know, how do these virtual worlds operate and what are the security implications of these virtual economies? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to talk about these things because uh, most of us are sort of not too aware of these virtual worlds. Uh, the only people who do know about virtual economies are either if you are familiar with cryptocurrencies or if you're very much into these virtual gaming platforms such as Second Life or Sandstar, which is now the VR gaming platform. And so Linden Lab has virtual world that they operate. Uh, first one is Second Life, as you said. It is the 3D virtual world that uh, you can use via high-end computing devices. Second is Sansar, uh, and Sansar has two modes. So one is VR, which is, uh, you know, in addition to using the high-end computing device, you need something called as HMD, the head-mounted display goggles. So you put on your head and, you know, you can uh, pretty much feel like you're immersed in that virtual reality. Uh, although it does provide you an option of using desktop modes, which is accessible via, again, the high-end high computing devices and, you know, high-end GPUs. So both of these virtual worlds are creator-based and basically they enable developers to do three things. And I call them three Cs. They allow you to create experiences, connect with people, and the third piece is commerce. And that's where the economy comes in, in the commerce piece. So you can create an experience using different tools, meet people in the VR, in the desktop mode, uh, using avatar. So anyone can go in and create a form of avatar, give themselves a you know, virtual name. Um, the economy, however, is sustained by subscription-based models. And on top of that, people are allowed to exchange virtual goods. And at the end of it all, you know, because they have their own currency, Linden dollars for Second Life and Sansar dollars for uh, Sansar, at the end of it, you can exchange what you earn for USD. Now, here's the interesting fact. On an average, Second Life users make about $60 million US dollars per year 
by just exchanging virtual goods. So for some people, some of our creators, it is literally their livelihood. And uh, as far as, you know, talk about security implications, uh, now, as you can imagine, these CNSR and Second Life are the representation of our modern society, like, for example, housing, real estate, education, training, media, entertainment, almost every aspect of virtual, of real world economy are mimicked. Yeah, so, that's incredible. So, so the users can interact with these things using these avatars. The security issues, they basically, in these worlds, they transcend the boundaries of real, real world. Uh, so, for example, malware and viruses, because it is a digital platform, you have privacy, confidentiality issues, authentication, identity theft, intellectual property theft, you know, spam. And the biggest of it all is the payment transaction integrity, because if you can't be whoever you want to be, how do we establish trust? And uh, there could be, you know, money laundering type of implications. So it's, it's a very vast field. And these virtual worlds offer so many opportunities to combat against these threats. That is so cool. I'll, uh, I'll never forget the time when you invited me to visit you at Linden Lab. And my ha I had my very first VR experience. Uh, I was pregnant at the time. And you introduced me to a virtual world in which I was able to interact with sort of a fetus and it and it taught me the experience taught me about what the fetus is capable of experiencing at I think something like 20 weeks um, and it was just so cool uh, and so it's just amazing to think about sort of really the limitless possibilities of what VR can do uh, for human experience and then of course as you mentioned um, all of the resulting implications uh, for security and for security professionals yeah, it's it's the it's the one thing that gives me a sense of purpose at the end of the day. Cool. So tell me, um, you mentioned about avatars, uh, of course, uh, identity theft and uh, payment uh, transaction integrity uh, is very interesting. And so, tell me about Maya Linden. Who is Maya Linden, uh, and what does that mean? Oh, you asked the most interesting. <laughs> so Maya Linden is uh, my virtual persona. Uh, it's my it's my VR name. You know how in our industry we have like hacker names. So when I first joined Linden Lab, they asked me, "Hey, who would you like to be in virtual worlds?" And uh, I was like, "Hmm, interesting." And because Maya. Uh, it's a word from uh, Hindi language, and it literally translates to illusion. And being in the security industry, how you know security sometimes can be an illusion, I found sort of a really interesting client towards, so I took that name. And in fact, if you go into these virtual worlds and ask about Kavya Pearl, do a Google search, you wouldn't find me because there is no Kavya Perlman. The only person who is available in those virtual worlds is Maya Linden. Very cool. Yeah, I think names are so interesting uh, because they have to do with our identities. Um, and certainly you can have a very different identity in the real world uh, as in the virtual world. And in fact, many identities. Um, so it's just, it's just really cool how in the virtual world, you can do things that are not possible uh, in the physical world. Kavya, 
you're the author of a research paper on cyber political engineering. Can you tell me what does this mean? How do social engineering and political engineering come together in this higher order phenomenon? So uh, as you probably uh, are aware of, social engineering is the art of manipulating human beings into either divulging information or taking some kind of a some kind of an action. So if we combine that with political engineering, so let me let me explain for those who don't know what political engineering is, is when you can use some sort of a, a paper decree or a law or referendum or some kind of ordinance to design some kind of political institution in a society. So if you want to achieve a certain desired effect, you can use these uh, use methods. Uh, although political engineering is often seen as sort of sort of a negative when it, when you use it in terms of democracy, uh, such as, you know, coup d'etat would have a negative effect on a democracy. So as I was working for Facebook back in the days, in fact, during presidential election time, I started to draw these observations where I noticed that various forms of cyber attacks and, uh, you know, uh, even to the extent of like fake news, the various forms of advanced persistent threats, you know, malware, um, so we're talking now about, you know, Cambridge Analytica issues, all of these things uh, were potentially combined, such as, you know, the DNC hack, which was a result of a spear phishing attack. So when you combine all of these attacks to massively manipulate human behavior, and perform a specific desire, you know, in order to achieve a, a specific desired political outcome, that's what I call cyber political engineering. And Caroline, for you and I, we can sort of attribute to, oh, there is a hack, the Russians uh, sort of, uh, you know, now meddled in our election, but for a common man, it is so difficult to understand what exactly happened. So by coining this term, what I'm attributing is, is there is not just one type of hack. There is not just one type of cyber attack. It is what I call is like a mother of all cyber attacks. This it combines a lot of different tactics to further some adversary agenda and just, you know, achieve that desired political outcome. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating, actually. I think as an information security professional, um, to talk to folks who are outside the industry or just learning about the industry. Um, and there is indeed um, sort of this, you know, level of understanding the world um, that occurs when you've been studying this kind of thing for a while uh, versus if you're not really aware of what exists and what sorts of things can happen because our world is so enabled today uh, by technology. Exactly. Kavya, um, we've been able to get just a taste of how you've been applying your technical skills and knowledge to some of the virtual world and the real world's uh, very interesting and complex security problems. Um, I'd actually like to take a step back and ask you a bit about your personal story. Um, you've told me that there is a period in your life when all you wanted to do, and in fact, what you spent your daily life doing was actually cutting and styling hair. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your story? 
who have you been and where have you come from and how did you first get into the security field? Uh, sure, I, I, I would love to. In fact, you probably are already aware that I used to, you know, cut hair for $10 an hour uh, back in, you know, 2007 to all the way to 2011. So I immigrated to the United States in 2007, and uh, I did have a bachelor's degree in computer science from India, but I just, you know, did not want to pursue anything uh, with that degree. Uh, instead, I decided to, you know, hey, this is a good opportunity to just learn the culture below and, you know, pursue my passion. It really was passion at that time and uh, decided to just do haircutting. And as a result, one of these days, I'm just, you know, it's 2011, I'm cutting hair and I get a client who wants to, uh, who just, you know, talked about a bunch of things, including some of the cyber war-like stuff. Uh, he was probably, uh, he told me he was an analyst at a bank, like a security analyst. And while he was leaving, he recommended a book called Cyber War by Richard Clark. And to this day, I will never forget that moment because I went home, Googled it, downloaded the PDF, I liked the book so much, I ordered the book and I read it page to page. Right after that, I just knew that that's it. This cosmetologist is not going to be a cosmetologist anymore. This is my purpose. It was just so profound that, you know, the only thing I needed to figure out after that is how. And, you know, our best friend, Google, comes handy. So I Googled, I enrolled into the master's in network security at DePaul University. And uh, uh, in order to align myself to the tech industry, I even took upon a tech job where I was just, you know, doing technical support, fixing routers, switches, that kind of stuff. So once graduated, I, I basically went straight into the heart of security, which is, you know, security operations center for uh, all state insurance, started my own cyber uh, research firm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, just never looked back since then. It's such an incredible story. I, I admire so much that you and your life, you've always been passion driven and you've had the courage to pursue whatever it is that your passion is, whether it be cosmetology, whether it be a sudden interest and, and inspiration to uh, study information security. I think that's, that's an incredible story that many people can learn from. Um, I hope that uh, this podcast is able to reach many listeners, uh, both folks who are already in information security, as well as some who may be uh, not yet uh, in the industry, or maybe just curious, or maybe just beginning to learn. Uh, and I think your story is a really great example of showing Yes, this is a very complex and multifaceted industry, and there are so many levels, and there, you know, it goes from very high governance to very deep technical, uh, but it is accessible, um, you know, if you have the passion and the drive to learn, uh, the resources exist uh, to get into it uh, and to one day become the Director of Information Security at Linden Lab. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Thank um, you, Caroline. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And so, Akavya, now that you're working in the industry, what are some of your favorite and your least favorite things about your work? I think the favorite of 
all of us is pretty obvious, is the ever-changing, exciting field of security. It's just like you wake up or you're awake, things are constantly changing. And it's so exciting because you never feel bored. I have never once since taking on that book or reading that book ever felt bored in my life because you know there's always something new coming up new vulnerabilities new technologies and you just really have to keep up with these stuff so it's it's really one of my favorite things uh, it sort of gives me the sense of purpose that there is something bigger that I contribute to and talk about the least favorite honestly uh the when I see that too many issues, you know, the breach fatigue that happens with people when you have too many data breaches and too many security issues, sometimes it's just, it's just hard to convince, you know, people tend to seem jaded a little bit or give up like, you know, oh, no matter what I do, there's going to be a breach or no matter what security vulnerability we tackle, we're always going to get in the hot water. So that kind of makes my job a little bit harder, but you know, still, um, then at the end of the day, you rely on your passion to fuel everything. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think what I've heard you describe just now, in a way, it's really two sides to the same coin. Mm -hmm. um, because the problems are so many uh, and ever-changing, uh, it, it can be very exhausting, <laughs> especially uh, given that our industry has right now a massive talent shortage so many of the professionals, uh, we find ourselves doing not only one job, but several. Um, and then at the same time, the flip side of that uh, is that you can never feel bored. And, and I can certainly uh, relate to that. I remember when I began my career, actually when I was studying also computer science, uh, and in my case, electrical engineering in college, one of the things I thought to myself was, gosh, you know, do I really want to be a, a database engineer for the next 20 to 30 years of my life. Uh, and at that time, I thought that that was how a career was supposed to be. Uh, when I was growing up, my father uh, was an attorney and he did that job for 34 years uh, with one employer. And wow. so I thought, oh gosh, whatever it is I pick, I hope it's interesting because I'm <laughs> going to be doing it for a long time. Uh, and then of course, as I got sort of into the real world and I began some real life work experience uh, and have held uh, you know, several different positions since then, uh, I realized actually there are some industries in which you can move around quite a lot. You can try things to find out if you like them or not. Uh, and there is enough opportunity uh, that if you find yourself working on something that you know, maybe you feel like it's not the best fit for you, uh, there's an opportunity to learn something new because there's always so many, so many more problems to solve. Exactly. And Kavya, what advice do you have for people who might not be working in cybersecurity today, but might have an interest and curiosity about it. How would you advise them to take action and to take one step at a time uh, toward getting into the industry and growing within it? Sure. Uh, I go back to my story with, you know, reading the book of Cyber War um, and uh, sort of uh, establishing that, you know, hey, this is what I want to do. So if you have either established that that's what you want to do, or even if you have a little bit of curiosity, here's what I would do. I would Google and learn whatever possible about there is, you know, nowadays there is so many massive open online courses 
uh, there are resources via YouTube that you can learn from. Another thing that I would advise to anyone trying to get into the field is find a mentor. And uh, for that, link is a great resource. In fact, uh, I recall uh, the, the way I got connected to you, Caroline, was you know reaching out via LinkedIn and saying, hey, what kind of uh, stories are you looking for and stuff like that. So LinkedIn and you know any other resource to find a mentor, somebody who can guide you. And then one thing that I believe it is irregardless of what career uh, you choose, whether it is cybersecurity or anything else, just never give up. I remember uh, when I first started learning about, you know, I, when I started doing my master's in network security, there were classes that I sat on and I was like, oh my God, please, I don't know how to do this thing. But at the end of the day, if this is what you want, follow your heart, follow your passions, whether it is cosmetology, whether it is, you know, healthcare or whether it is cybersecurity, passion is what will fuel your career. And that is the key to cybersecurity. If you're not passionate over time, you will burn out. You will get jaded. And that's what I recommend. Let your passion fuel your research, learn, learn, and keep on learning. I remember receiving that message from you and I thought to myself, wow, you know, here is a woman with a very interesting story who is being very open with me about sharing who she is. Um, and I was just so excited uh, to get to know you. I know, I remember also that um, the topic of mentorship came up uh, during our panel talk at AppSet California. Um, and, and we were talking about reaching out to people on LinkedIn, reaching out to people on Twitter. Uh, and I would like to actually echo uh, some of your advice for our listeners, which is to never give up. Um, you know, sometimes you'll reach out to people um, and they may ignore you. Uh, and, and that's something not to really take personally um, because you never know what's going on at the other end of a conversation. Um, you know, the person you reach out to might be in a place in their life where uh, they've got the space and the time uh, to take on a mentee. But there are certainly times when, you know, you never know what's going on with a person professionally or personally, you know, I myself, for example, uh, have said uh, not now uh, to folks over the last couple of months as I've been on uh, parental leave, uh, taking care of my newborn baby boy. And it's not because, you know, uh, anyone who reaches out to me is not someone that I would like to get to know, uh, but it's just not the right time in my life. Uh, and it certainly uh, does not reflect poorly on them. So I just want to echo to be persistent uh, with your interests and, uh, and keep trying because there are many people who are willing to share and to help and, and just to be open to trying. Kavya, uh, we're, we're coming now uh, to the end of our time for today. The, the question I'd like to close with and that I'm very interested in hearing is what's next for you? 
So professionally, you know, I am really enjoying working with the CNCR team and, you know, Linden Lab team to build, embed security type framework, you know, trust framework within these virtual worlds and, you know, keeping them compliant with PCI DSS. And then, you know, we have state regulations that we comply with. So all of that, you know, will continue if on the professional side of things. But on my personal professional uh, sort of uh, inclination, I still am looking to put together a framework to combat cybersecurity, cyber political engineering. Because, uh, you know, my, pa my research paper basically just attributes to the problem. And we have not yet found a solution. There are a couple of, uh, you know, resources such as the Defend Digital Democracy, Belfer Center uh, from Harvard. These are all of those institutes who are actually doing some research work that, you know, if your campaign is hacked, then this is sort of a playbook that you can go off of. Uh, examples like, you know, following uh, examples like Macron's campaign was hacked and, you know, what they did do in certain response against cyber political engineering. So those kinds of things that I have already done a ton of research, with, now my goal is to now come up with framework that can potentially be a solution. So in the coming months and uh, days, that's what I intend to finalize and put out there. Cool. I, I love the way that you're going about that. I think that you know some of these problems, many of these problems cannot be solved overnight. Uh, but at the same time, we're also in this environment where there are so many tools available. There are so many quote unquote solutions that are you know ready to go. Um, but I think that it's very wise to actually focus first on problem definition uh, before sort of beginning to launch a framework uh, for solution. Uh, so I really look forward to uh, what you continue to develop in this area uh, in the coming months and in the coming years. Yep, and I encourage everybody to check out these new virtual worlds that we're developing. You never know, you might be one of those people who are making around millions of dollars a year in virtual sales. Yeah, wow, 60 million USD exchanged in virtual worlds. That is a number that just blows my mind. You know, I had no idea uh, before our conversation today, uh, sort of the magnitude of what's going on. And it seems as though this is really just the beginning. Definitely. And, you know, Caroline, because, you know, we're talking about automation taking over humankind and AI based stuff is going to take over. So this is a domain that people will look to to create more jobs, in fact, and to create businesses. And uh, eventually this would become the, the place to be. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it already is, you know, CNSR and Second Lives are Second Life is the place to be. That's so cool. Kavya, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the podcast. It's been fascinating, as always, to get a view into your life and into your profession and into your work. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Caroline. My pleasure. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.